Today we will not be looking at a catechism question, but instead we will be looking at the Apostles' Creed itself. Let me read the Apostles' Creed to you now, and then I will give you an overview of what it teaches. The Apostles' Creed states, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. We've begun the practice of reciting the Apostles' Creed together in the worship service immediately before we partake of the Lord's Supper. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we say, I believe, in a symbolic or sacramental way. And so it is good for us to say, I believe, verbally and with content, before we come to the table. It is those who believe who are to come. And so those who come first say, I believe. This tradition, you should know, is common amongst the Reformed and has been for a very long time. One benefit of reciting the Creed is that it connects us with other true Christians living throughout the world today and throughout history. The word creed comes from the Latin word meaning, I believe. And you will notice that the first two words of the Creed are, I believe. And so when we recite the Apostles' Creed, we are declaring that we believe what Christians have believed throughout the ages. The Apostles' Creed and other creeds like it are very brief declarations of belief in core Christian doctrines. Sometimes creeds are called symbols. Symbols, as you know, are small representations of something larger and more complex. There are symbols around us constantly, right? They are small representations of something larger and more complex, and that is what creeds are. They are verbal symbols of the faith. Is there more to say about the Christian faith than what the Apostles' Creed says? Yes, of course. The Apostles' Creed states the faith in a very brief way. The Creed is short enough to be memorized and to recite in public worship. But it could also be developed upon. It could be expanded upon. In fact, I think it was meant to be expanded upon. For example, when the Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, it is right for us to ask, who is God? What is His nature? What are His attributes? What is meant by Father? What is meant by Almighty? Etc. Every word of this creed can be expanded upon in this way. Here we have a very concise articulation and summary of the Christian faith. Of course, the answers to these follow-up questions are found in Scripture, which is our supreme authority in matters of faith and obedience. And the answers to these questions are also stated more thoroughly in other documents like our Catechism and Confession. Creeds state the core doctrines of the Christian religion in a very succinct way. Catechisms state and teach the doctrines more thoroughly. And confessions, like our confession, the Second London Confession, are rather long and detailed statements of faith. You should know that the Apostles' Creed is called the Apostles' Creed, not because it was written by the Apostles of Jesus, though there is a tradition that says that it originates with them, that each 
of the disciples of Christ, the, the twelve apostles, contributed a line of the creed. But it is called by this name because it is a faithful summary of their teaching. You should also know that this creed underwent some development in the first few centuries of the church. The version we have now likely has its origins in an older and simpler creed called the Old Roman Symbol. As the church encountered false teachings, the creed was likely altered slightly over time to help defend orthodoxy. The church was threatened with false teachings, and so the creed that the church would confess would be updated in order to protect the church from encroachment from these heretics. The Apostles' Creed we recite today is believed to have its origins in Gaul, modern-day France, in the 5th century A.D. I want to briefly consider the Apostles' Creed with you today. Firstly, what does the Creed declare? The Creed declares belief in the core or central doctrines of the Christian faith. The first words are, I believe. And in the Creed we find brief statements about the Trinity, the virgin birth of Christ, the deity of Christ, His death, His burial, resurrection, ascension, and eventual return. Also, the Creed declares belief in the universal church, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body when Christ returns. These are core or foundational Christian beliefs. The Apostles' Creed does not explain these doctrines, nor does the Apostles' Creed seek to prove them from Scripture. It declares belief in them. And true Christians will be able to utter this creed sincerely and with a clear conscience. Stated differently, if a person cannot say what this creed says sincerely, then they are not Christian. They do not hold to the Christian faith. What is the shape of the Apostles' Creed? And by this question I'm asking, what is its structure? You will notice that the shape of the Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian. There are three parts to this creed, and each of the three parts is associated with one of the three persons of the Godhead. God is one, and God is three. He is a triunity, and the creed is Trinitarian. The first section begins, I believe in God the Father. The second section begins, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. As you know, Jesus the Messiah is a true human being, but the Apostles' Creed rightly identifies Him as the person of the eternal Son of God, and our Lord. The third section begins, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. And so we know that God is one. In Him there eternally subsist three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every true Christian believes this, and so the Apostles' Creed declares it to be true. More than this, the Creed makes the triune God its very structure. And this helps us to see that belief in the triune God is foundational to the Christian faith. Thirdly, we might ask, what story does the Apostles' Creed tell? And this might seem like a strange question at first. You might be thinking, it doesn't feel like it tells any story at all. But in fact, I do believe that the Apostles' Creed tells a story. It is the story of creation, fall, and redemption. The act of creation is attributed particularly to the Father. The accomplishment of our redemption is attributed particularly to the Son, and the application of the redemption that Christ has earned is attributed to the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, we are reminded of the consummation by the words concerning Christ, From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. And so we find in this brief 
creed, a reminder of the whole history of redemption, creation and fall, redemption in Christ Jesus, the application of the redemption that Christ has earned to people in time, and the consummation of all things when Christ returns. There is a story that, it is, that is being told here. Truly, God is one, and all of His works are therefore one and undivided. But it is right to attribute creation to the Father, redemption accomplished to the Son, and redemption applied to the Spirit, given the special role that each person of the Trinity plays in these acts. If I were to ask you who created the world, it would be right for you to say that God created the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father created through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. If I were to ask you who has redeemed us, it would be right for you to say that God has redeemed us. The Father sent the Son, and the Son has sent forth the Holy Spirit. But it is also right to attribute creation to the Father, redemption to the Son, and the application of the redemption that Christ has earned to the Spirit, given the special roles that these persons of the triune God play in these particular acts. The theological term for this is called appropriations. My point here is to say that the Apostles' Creed manages to remind us of this story, the story of creation, man's fall into sin, redemption accomplished by Christ, redemption applied by the Spirit, and the consummation of all things at Christ's return in what it says. And, and I, I find this marvelous to consider. This little creed accomplishes a great deal in a very short space. Fourthly, we might ask, what is the focus of the Apostles' Creed? Notice how the creed focuses attention on Christ. Jesus, the Messiah, the eternal Son of God incarnate, is the central figure of the creed. Our faith in Christ is professed in the middle or heart of the creed. Also, most of the words are devoted to describing Christ and His work of redemption. And this is right. The Scriptures also focus on Christ. The Christian faith centers on Christ. Other religions, let's say for example the non-believing Jews, can profess belief in God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, but they will not profess belief in Jesus Christ, the Son of God and our Lord. And so it is not surprising that a Christian creed would have Christ at the center. It is Christ who reconciles sinners to God. Christ is the object of our faith. If we wish to be saved from our sins, we must trust not in God in a generic sense, but in the person and work of Christ. Did you hear what I said there? To be saved from our sins, we are not to trust in God in a generic sense, but in the person and work of Christ, for Christ is the only Savior that God has provided. By trusting in Christ, we trust in God, but we must come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ, for Christ is the Savior that God has sent. To trust in God truly for our salvation means that we trust specifically in Christ, and that is what the creed professes, faith in Jesus Christ. He is at the very heart or center of this creed. Fifthly, we might ask, what is the usefulness of the Apostles' Creed? One, the creed could be used as a tool to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach the faith. It could also be used to prepare people for baptism and membership within the church. Of course, to use the creed in this way, to, to proclaim the gospel and to teach the fundamentals of the faith, this would require us to expand upon just every word and phrase found within it. 
We do not use the Apostles' Creed in this way here at Emmaus. Instead, we use the Baptist Catechism in this way. And, in a way, the Baptist Catechism does this very thing. It expands upon the doctrines expressed briefly in the Apostles' Creed, but not in a direct way. There is another catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism, and then there is a Baptist version called an Orthodox Catechism that actually does expand upon the Apostles' Creed very directly. I believe it is question 25 of the Orthodox Catechism that asks the follow-up question, What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty? And then there is a more expansive answer given to that question. So, the creed could be used as a teaching tool or as a means to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the creed could also be used to succinctly confess the faith in public worship. And that is how we will use it. At some point before we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, a minister will ask you the question, Dear Christian, what do you believe? And this will prompt the congregation to recite the Apostles' Creed, or maybe another creed a lot like it, the Nicene Creed in the future, as a faithful summary or symbol of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And here I am citing Jude 3. We have faith in Christ. By this we mean we have personal trust in Him. But we also believe in the faith. We have received it from Christ and His apostles as a good deposit entrusted to us. We must receive it. We must guard it. We must proclaim it, teach it, profess it. And that is what we do when we recite a faithful creed like the Apostles' Creed. As I begin to draw this little sermon to a conclusion, I'd like to make, uh, or I'd like to address two portions of the Apostles' Creed that are often misunderstood. The first common misunderstanding is rather easy to correct. When we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, this is not a reference to Roman Catholicism. Catholic simply means universal. There are many local visible churches like this one. God's people are to assemble each Lord's Day in local visible churches. When we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are confessing belief in the one, perfectly united, universal, an invisible church of Jesus Christ. Consider this. The scriptures say that Christ loved the church and laid down His life for her. That is what Ephesians 5.25 states. Notice the word church is singular in that text. So, although there are many local churches, there is in reality only one church that Christ laid His life down for. And I might ask you the question, which one is it? I hope it's Emmaus, right? I hope it is Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church. No, that's ridiculous. Christ did not lay His life down for some particular uh, local church, this one or, or any other. What is the church that Christ laid His life down for? What is the bride of Christ that He laid His life down for? It is this universal and invisible church that Christ died for. He laid His life down for His bride. That is to say, He laid His life down for all of the elect, all who have placed their faith in Jesus the Messiah from Adam's day on to the consummation. This is the church that Christ has died for. Can you take a picture of this church? No, you cannot. We cannot see it. It is invisible to us. It is the universal church. It is the church Catholic and so when we say those words, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it has nothing to do with Rome. Nothing at all to do with Rome. In fact, 
I should say this in passing, even the name Roman Catholicism is a contradiction because Rome is a place and Catholic means universal. Do you see it? It is a contradiction and it should be clear to all uh, that we view the Roman Catholic Church as being an apostate church given their abandonment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of justification through faith in Christ alone. And so we are not pledging our allegiance to Rome when we say these words. We are instead acknowledging that there is something much bigger going on than what God is doing here at Emmaus Reformed Baptist Church. There is a universal church, an invisible church that Christ has laid His life down for. These will be the ones who are with God in eternity and we are to remember them. True Christians around the world today and even throughout history, we are to remember them and that we are connected to them through our spirit-wrought union with Christ. The second part of the Apostles' Creed that is often misunderstood is the little phrase, He descended to hell. This is about Jesus. The Creed says He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. Now it is common, even within the Reformed tradition, to interpret the phrase He descended to hell to mean that Jesus experienced the torments of hell on the cross when He died as a substitute for the sins of the elect. Hell descended on Jesus, according to this view. And really it was John Calvin who popularized this view. And while I often agree with Calvin, I disagree with him here. It is my view that the phrase, He descended to hell, means that when Jesus died, His body was placed in the grave, and His soul descended to Sheol or Hades, which prior to the resurrection and ascension of Christ, was the common abode of the dead. You may see Psalm 16.10, Acts 2.27 for more on this. More specifically, Jesus' soul descended to Abraham's bosom, which was a place of comfort within the spiritual realm of Sheol. See Luke 16.22. Christ descended into hell, which is the equivalent of the Hebrew word Sheol and the Greek word Hades, not to suffer there or to endure any punishment, but to proclaim victory and to set captives free. See Ephesians 4.8. After Christ rose from the dead, He ascended to heaven. Now the way into heaven is opened up for all who have faith in Christ. See Matthew 27.51, 2 Corinthians 5.8, Revelation 20.4. Sheol, or we might say Hades or hell, is now only a place of punishment now that Christ has ascended. In other words, Abraham's bosom is no more. For Abraham and all who have the faith of Abraham have entered heaven or will enter heaven when they die. Now for the sake of time, I will not attempt to prove this view from Scripture. I've already recommended a resource to you where that is done. Let me conclude this section by simply pointing out that it, that it is this view, the one that I have just stated, and not the other one, that agrees with the progression of the creed itself. Hear it again. The creed declares that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose, third day he rose again from the dead, etc. 
If Christ's descent into hell was a reference to the torments of hell coming upon him as he hung on the cross, then this phrase in the Apostles' Creed is strangely out of order. But if this is an answer to the question, where did Christ's human soul go when he died, then it makes perfect sense. Where did Christ's human body go when he died? The grave. And where did his soul go? To Abraham's bosom, to Sheol, to proclaim victory and to set captives free. That is what the scriptures teach. Christ did not suffer there. Again, He went to proclaim victory, to set captives free, and to usher them into heaven when He ascended. For Christ has opened up the way into the heavenly holy of holies. That's why the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, symbolizing that the way into the very presence of God in heaven had been opened up. The psalm is true. God did not abandon Christ's soul to Sheol or let His Holy One see corruption. Psalm 16.10 For on the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. Dear brothers and sisters, I do pray that this little sermon, which is a little longer than what most of my catechetical sermons will be, I pray that it will help you to recite the Apostles' Creed with confidence and conviction. Christ did descend to hell, to Sheol or Hades. And no, we are not pledging any sort of allegiance to the Roman Catholic Church. It should be clear to all that we view the Roman Church to be a false church, given her abandonment of the doctrine of the justification through faith in Christ alone, among other things. Instead, we recite the Apostles' Creed in order to confess that we belong not merely to this local church, but to the church Catholic or universal. For we do hold to the faith once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. We have been reconciled to God the Father by the Son and through the Spirit. This gift of redemption and reconciliation comes to be ours as we trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate. He descended to the lower parts of the earth for us. He was also exalted to the highest heaven for us. He is the Savior God has provided. He is the object of our faith, therefore. And this is what we confess to believe when we recite the Creed together. So let me conclude by asking you a question, and it will be one that you'll need to respond to, so please be prepared. Dear Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.